Hello and welcome to NRI Women, the show where we talk to women of Indian origin living abroad. I'm Nanora. And I'm Bettina. Each week we chat with women who share their experience or perspective about a topic. We hope in sharing these, you will be inspired, learn something new, or just know you are not alone in some of the struggles you face. We've shared stories of so many inspiring women over the past 16 weeks. Hina, a single mum raising Brazilian children in episode 5. Sharon's experience with clinical depression and anxiety in episode 12. And learning for the first time the concept of Aikagai from Harsha in episode 13. We've definitely taken away a lot from these amazing women. Today's episode is the last one in this season, but we'll be back with more inspiring stories in September with season two. And so to wrap up the season finale, we're talking about a subject that is mainly Indian, joint families, an arrangement where many generations bound by a common relationship live together in the same household. It's common to see this kind of living arrangement in Indian families, residing outside India as well. Some of us may have grown in one and others married into one. Either way, it's likely we know of someone who is part of a joint family. Joining us in our conversation today is Ashna Mulgakar, who was born and grew up in one of the largest joint families in India. At its peak, 150 members live together in the same house, the Mamai Kamat family in Goa. Mamai is the goddess. We are actually Kamats only, okay. but we added this name of our goddess so that we become distinct from the other Kamat families. So, so that's why we, known, we are known as Mamai Kamat. So it is the only surname existing in the entire world, you can say. The most unique surname. Okay. And we have a separate temple as well, which is built uh, in a place called Hornan in Goa itself, which only belongs to our family. The Mamai Kamath family has a rich history. The family was torn apart in the 16th century by the Crusades undertaken by Jesuit missionaries in Salset. Some members of the family had to leave Goa to escape the forced conversion due to political and religious policies of the time. Those members who stayed back converted to Christianity. The family as two separate branches flourished in their respective areas. The Goan branch prospered so much that the daughter of the family married a Portuguese admiral, which was unusual at the time. While the other section settled in Vijayanagar Empire and thrived in the fields of commerce and finance. In the 18th century, the family decided to move into their current house in Panjim. Basically, we came from the village of uh, Chandor in South Goa, but uh, our ancestors were mostly in business. Uh, so if you go, if it's like dated back uh, 1759, when the Portuguese moved their capital from Old Goa to Panjim, they actually uh, signed a contract with our ancestors to design their furnishing, furnishings for the Viceroy's residence. And that contract our family got. That's how the house was built. Okay. And even today, it's just next to the Secretariat of Panjim, which is a very rare case because uh, the entire Secretariat was one side and the exact right-hand side was, is our house. The house does not look like a traditional house. One could easily walk past it thinking it's just another building. Only, it's not. It's like a colony. There are small, small rooms and uh, uh, it, there are two floors in the house. With the entrance of the house, there's a big veranda and then the room starts. And it's like uh, the person who enters for the first time, he will surely get lost in the house. 
this house had like around 40 45 rooms okay we never counted as such how many room because there were other small rooms there were storage rooms you know yeah. there were god room there were so many kinds of other rooms so literally we have not counted how many rooms but each room is uh, for one family and that room is like pretty small it's like uh, what you call a studio concepts in dubai so my parents and my sister had to share the same thing uh, as one room and then there were like partitions so my sister and i would share one bed and then my parents in another bed and the kitchen and everything was common so how did it get to be such a large family actually when the, the there was four ancestors who came together and built the house so not like they were really in relation or something so these four four members and their families uh, were you know that's how it became like it's not from one person that all these members became so it's not like that we are related blood through to another cousin but yes it was never like that it was always like she's my first cousin or my yeah. second cousin initially it was like 100 150 members for sure and then some of the daughters got married and then when i grew up there were at least 80 people there around me of the 80 people living there at the time 30 were children around the same age as ashna i grew up with many of my cousins living very close to us and we would meet often and those memories are still some of my fondest memories to date can you imagine growing up in an environment where your cousins never left we never had to buy books we never had to uh, think about toys because it was just there somewhere else is also is our uh, we were never alone even though our parents had to go out here in dubai like i have to think my son is like one day off what do i do with him i have to wait it was never like that the house was always full we didn't have want our parents only to be with us we were sometimes we used to go in someone's room in the morning and till night we were there only we and my parents didn't even know which which of the rooms we were because it's not possible even to call out to the, there was no phones that time so they, and they were never bothered to call out also they knew that they will be somewhere around the favorite memory i would say you know there was a mango tree in our garden we have like three gardens in the house itself and there was a big mango tree all the children used to wait to for the mango to fall down because nobody was allowed to climb the tree and pluck the mango the minute a mango would fall down that sound every kid is to wait the one uh, who gets the mango would eat the mango <laughs> just to grab that one mango and the taste of that mango i can uh, even if we buy a whole box today that it would not match the taste it of that taste mango the they never taste the same food has the amazing ability to evoke memory to bring people together and to transport one back to another place but that's completely different from the daily meal planning Most of us find it challenging to create one for our families on a daily basis. So what is it like to plan and manage the menu for such a large family every day? That's quite a task, but the thing was uh, like uh, this house has like a committee mm-hmm. of uh, since uh, since but natural it's an old uh, old uh, heritage house. The there are male members who are designated who are like the committee members who takes the decision for the house. And one of them was my father. in the committee so his task was after office hours every day to go to the bazaar and uh, order a big chunk of uh, vegetables and uh, rice and you know and there are like storage rooms which were kept for it there was a in house cook okay and an assistant for him 
So every day morning there is only veg food that was cooked in the house okay. because there is something called as saligram in the house. Mm -hmm. So no male member was allowed to eat non-veg food Sleep. every day. Okay. Every day there has to be some puja which is done for this uh, god. But no member who has eaten a non-veg food can offer the puja. So that's the reason there was never a non-veg food being given to any of the male members of the family strictly. At the same time, the, mem the family was so progressive in their thinking is, they had a separate kitchen for all the ladies and all the girls. Because finally the girl gets married and goes to another house and there she maybe have to eat non-veg. Mm -hmm. Or a girl who's you know eating non-veg all her life and coming back in the family. So for that purpose there was always a separate kitchen and every day a fish vendor would come to the house to sell fish so the ladies don't have to go out to buy. And uh, there was a lady to clean the fish as well and they would just cook as per their taste. After the planning comes the execution. What was that like? The cook would cook in very big vessels, mm -hmm. which was almost the height of a kid of seven or eight years old maybe. That much of rice, dal, two vegetables were cooked and what we call a soul kadi in Goa. Oh yeah, yeah. that's the kokum. Yeah. Yes, kokum kadi. So these were the basic menu of the day. The dal used to change uh, every day. It was never repeated. There was never the same dal. And the vegetables also would not be the same. After that, around one o'clock, each family, individual family, had to keep their four vessels, unique vessels named. Okay, so imagine like there are 40 families, there are 40 small, small, uh, groups of vessels kept wherein the cook would pour the food and our uh, mother, my, my mother would take her vessels in the room and then we would eat inside. Some of the times, at times there is also a small veranda like a dining room. Okay, Each one had the dining tables plus there was a common veranda. So there, someone who wanted to eat in the veranda also would sit and eat. Lunchtime people would take food in their room. Now, dinner was all about you, your uh, ledger. If this food remains, they could take it for dinner. But most of the time, my parents would prefer, my mother would always prefer cooking something different for dinner. So she used to not keep the same food. So she used to cook dinner for us. And chores. How did they break down the chores? No, never. Because uh, my mother itself hardly did any shows, so it never passed on to us. But yes, there was, you know, there was always a discipline that we had to learn something even though there were servants there were servants to clean the clothes there were servants to dry the uh, the clothes there were people to cook in the house to clean the house so there was never anything left uh, to do for a lady as unless she wanted to eat fish non-veg which she had to cook on her own mm -hmm. besides that there was uh, everything was there the the fish vendor the barber used to come at home yeah nobody had to go to cut hair outside because the barber would come at their at our place yeah. uh, so maximum thing was provided so there was nothing like daily work but at the same time you know there was small thing like breakfast my mother used to force so that we learn some basics like making chapati or even though we never had to do it yeah. but yes my mother has always put discipline in us to learn the basics so because she knew that maybe you know we won't get the same luxury outside once we shift Sounds like a fairy tale to us. No chores, always having someone to play with, three gardens with mango trees. Were there any less rosy parts?
Yeah, there was never any personal space. There was no definition of personal space. There was just one room that we used to sleep. Yeah. Full time we used to be out only in someone else's room. Yeah. Okay, or someone would be in our room and the door was always open. There was never something called as personal space. Never ever. Even if my father my father would walk with like, you know, a bag of something which is like a little presentable. There were hundred questions. What are you carrying? There was nothing that he could even buy without being disclosed. It was everything was open like a book, literally like a book. Especially even there are functions you get dressed up for the function. The minute you come out, there would be hundred comments. Some would be good, some would be bad, some would be like, you know, I, why do I want your opinion also? It does happen many times, but at the same time, now we realize, you know, that those were nice days, those yeah. were nice days. Hardly seems like negatives given the bigger picture. So how did they celebrate birthdays and festivals? Quite funny, here in this part of the world, you have to send invites to people to, you know, for a small birthday or small get-together. That was never like this. Even if a chicken was cooked, chicken was a big thing in, initially in the family because we come from the veg background. So cooking a chicken was like a, any family who would cook chicken, they had to see that they cook sufficient chicken for themselves and to distribute among all the other kids who are waiting to eat that uh, chicken. chicken. <laughs> so especially only birthdays, chicken used to be got, a chicken would be bought. And uh, yes, every child, you know, it was, there was, not, there was nothing like an invitation. Yes. It was just that we went. There were small gifts in their own form, but not like, uh, you know, but each one would get a gift, especially Diwali. Diwali, if I had to say, Diwali is a festival where all the male members of the family would stand in a line, okay. So we had a very big god room, which is like would accommodate in a line around 40 to 50 male members easily. And then every lady would take that turn and what you call as Owarni, okay. okay? So they they make puja of the male members of the family, okay, Aarti okay? you call it. Okay. After that, all the male members of the family had to give some money to the children. So the children would only wait that after this Ovaldi, we would touch the feet and collect money. And, and at times what would happen was like 10, 15 children would go and touch the feet of the male members. And for him, it would be a task whom the money is given, whom the money is not given. But we would assure that unless we get the money, we don't touch, leave the feet of the male members. <laughs> at that time, even if we say one month rupee in those days, 40-50 rupees we would get. And that would be our fund for watching movies together, you know, for all the other things that we desire. We would wait to collect this money at Diwali time, <laughs> which would officially be our money. The money collected at Diwali was used as a shared fund to do more fun things like rent out a DVD player or buy tickets to the cinema. And over the years, this became a tradition for the children. The Mamai Kamat family has its own traditions too. One such tradition is a celebration of Anand Chaturdashi. There is one festival which comes 10th day after the Ganesh Chaturdashi. It is called Anand Chaturdashi. It's, it, it's been said that one of my ancestors killed a snake and the snake cursed the house that there would not be any male members born in this house, which was like a very big shock to the entire family. So they prayed to the deity saying that they will celebrate this Ananta Chaturdashi. Anant is Nag Devta. Anand is uh, yeah, is considered the snake god. Yeah. Okay. So, and Chaturdashi means? Chaturdashi is like a festival. Okay. 
So we call it Ganesh Chaturthi, so Anand Chaturdashi. It's called Anand. Many many families do celebrate this festival, but not as much as we do. So there's like an ad given in the newspaper. That ad is considered an invite. There are like 1,000 to 2,000 people coming and taking the food, the dinner, is a prasad on that day. And all this is sponsored by the family itself. You know, it's not like some funds are coming or something like that. It's all being done. Even today, if you come the 10th day of the festival, and these episodes have been uh, shown on BBC and all the news channels possible because no single family hosts a dinner like this. Yeah. In Goa, at least. I don't know about the other rest of India, no, but, but not in Goa. Except the weddings, I think. But uh, Yeah, not, won't be 1,000, 2,000 people yeah. in, uh, every year. Yeah. This is every year. So what happened was uh, the family wa and if you see the history of the family, all the all the families they first have ladies and then a gent is born. So you can't even deny that it may be a story. I'm not saying it must be 100% correct, but if you see any of my uh, uncles or any of my uh, the previous people who have children, they all have ladies first and then a gent is born. Even my uh, my aunties, they are first four girls. And then three sons. Oh, yeah. So you know, maybe because of this festival, the god was great and uh, <laughs> the curse was removed. And there's another episode to it was that uh, one fine day, the entire Goa said that we should boycott this because you know it's only family who's taking all the credit for what's going on. So, uh, but then was the tense situation because people didn't want this to happen. Uh, so one of my ancestors, they got a dream the previous night saying that you don't worry, you just do what you're doing every year, you'll see that the people will come. And believe me, that day more people came, more than 2,000 people came to have dinner than the usual crowd. So these type of stories uh, are still heard today. People also visit the Mamai Kamath house to pay respect to a rare shell. This celebration is called Kongyanche Fest. Why is the shell so important? It is a rare right-sided conch decorated with pearls, gems and gold. A conch is a symbol of purity, brilliance and auspiciousness. In Hinduism, the sound from the conch is associated with the sacred syllable Om, which is believed to be the first sound of creation. And how the Mamais got this conch is a really interesting story. The Mamais were a trading family who did business with foreigners who brought merchandise for them. On one such visit to the merchant ship, their ancestor saw this right-sided conch on the captain's table. It served as a paperweight and he recognized it to be a rare conch. He requested the captain to give it to him due to its religious significance and the captain obliged. Once a year, it is taken out on the auspicious occasion of Anand Chaturdashi for public worship. Change, as they say, is the only constant and like everything else in the world, life at the house has changed too. Some residents have passed away and others have moved on. Currently, the house has about 25 residents. I would say it's not because the house is like that or because people have shifted to new our house our people have only shifted either because of jobs that they got outside or because of the space constraint 
there was never a issue i do not see anybody leaving the house because they didn't want to live in a joint family yes. that is the only thing i mean uh, the, uh, some people you know shift because there are tips and that has never happened in our house our, the shifting was basically because of the space otherwise i do not find any reason people people who have shifted from the house and life changed for ashna too after she got married when i got married one two months i was with my husband's family in goa and then uh, wish i i should mention i'm the only person in my entire family who's here out out of goa most of them are still settled in goa unless they have uh, maximum bombay very handful of them but other than that i'm the only one who's here out in dubai that's the reason it's not just you know uh, i felt that loneliness from the day i've landed in dubai because uh, it's not only about uh, there is no one here that i i knew except my husband who used to go to office in the morning and then come in the evening and we were staying in a studio initially so even though space wise it was restricted okay uh, but uh, these walls were killing me every minute of my life that's when i decided i should do some kind of a job because it was uh, i mean i was getting mentally frustrated yeah uh, i i don't think i've got up in the morning Uh, in back home in Goa, uh, from five thirty six o'clock there used to be so much of noise around, and here it's like totally pin drop silence. Go make your own tea, make your own breakfast, and then uh, full day nothing. Just sit and yeah. watch the walls. Yeah. Uh, it has been uh, painful, painful for me at least. <laughs> painful journey. <laughs> I would always pray I go back to my home. Yeah. Among those people, I yes. miss it every minute of my life. Ashna has built a life for herself since then. She owns and manages an accounting company and has a 7-year-old son who she takes back to the house every opportunity available. So what does she miss most about living in a joint family? I miss the most is the people around me. There's always someone to share and I also wanted to mention, you know, it's the only house who financed education of lot of people. So people who yes. So people who would come to Goa to educate they didn't have a place to stay so our family still has that room where there are bunk beds being uh, kept anybody who wanted who would study higher studies most of the people have stayed in that house free free food free living until today it is like that That's so amazing. yes till today those bank bunk beds are there i have heard from so many people even on facebook they write to me that i have yes my ancestors have lived in that house the people who wanted to get education this family would sponsor them free stay and free food so you know we come from that culture of giving especially so for me uh, giving and sharing is never uh, an adjustment is like uh, on the table always yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that is the one thing which i learned from my family uh, because when you're brought up as a, a lone kid it's it's like everything for you here it's not like that when you are in joint family it's all about adjustment and understanding for someone's feeling it's totally different an adjustment is always on the table like she says something we've not often heard in recent times somewhere along the way as nuclear units families and on a larger scale countries we may have become like the lone child who thinks everything is for them ashna's experience reminds us of the quote by the english novelist hugh walpole Happiness comes from some curious adjustment to life and Ashna's life is a testament to that. 
And that's a wrap for season one. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank a few people who've made this podcast possible. Firstly, we'd like to thank our editor Ryan Gonzalez at RG Creatives for bringing our episodes to life. We'd also like to thank our spouses, Ramesh and Edward, for supporting us and encouraging us as we took on something new. We'd like to thank our guests for trusting us to share their stories. And lastly, we'd like to thank you, our tribe of friends, family and listeners. Your support, kind words of encouragement and feedback has fueled us to continue doing what we love to do, which is bring you inspiring stories. We will be back in September with season 2. Until then, please continue to support us by listening to the episodes you may have missed out on, recommending us to your friends and family, and we'd love it if you would rate us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at hello@nriwoman.com or Twitter at nri_woman. You can see and learn more about the amazing women we chat with on our Facebook page or website. www.nriwoman.com I'm Lenora and I'm Bettina until next time keep learning keep inspiring and be kind